Well, good evening and welcome to Steadfast. I am so excited to be with you as we begin a brand new series. We're turning to Psalm 6 tonight. Over the past couple of years, three years now, we've been working our way through the Psalms slowly and we're up to Psalm 6. I love going through the Psalms like this where we every once in a while return to the Psalms and just read the next one. Because it's not about cherry picking, ah, this Psalm speaks to this moment. I'm going to preach on this psalm, it's, well, let's just look at the next one, because all of them speak to our situations in life. And it makes it all the more meaningful then when, as we turn to the next one, we find how it meshes into some of the other things we're dealing with in our in our worldwide situation and in our individual situations. It ties into where we've been talking in our other series as well. And as we've been thinking on Sunday nights about doubt and anxiety, here, as we turn to Psalm 6, we find a cry out from the psalmist. How long, O Lord? How long in this situation that I'm mired in? A situation that seems to be a creation of the psalmist. The psalmist has brought himself into this. And so as he writes this, he knows that he's the reason. And we find ourselves in those situations, don't we? We find ourselves in those situations where we have brought about trouble to ourselves. Sometimes those are the worst because not only are we in the midst of this trouble, but we're also busy beating ourselves up and trying to figure out what the consequences of what we've brought about really are. That's where David finds himself tonight. And that's what we're going to think about as we we dig into this. One of the important things, and we'll see this as we begin, is that we need to understand just how bad the situation we've placed ourselves in really is. David understands that. Oftentimes in life, we really don't understand how bad our situation is when we first encounter it, when we first become aware of it. I was reminded of that just earlier today. I pulled out of the driveway. My mom and I were going to go visit my uncle at the nursing home he's in, and we we were pulling out of the driveway, and my van starts making a weird thud. And at first I thought it was that noise sometimes we hear when it's cold and maybe it's been a little moist and the, the brakes are just a little resistant to movement. I thought that's what we were dealing with, but then it was thud, thud. Oh no, thud. Yeah, it's that. It was a flat tire. And then I tried to assess what we were dealing with as far as the tire. You, you hope when you find out that you have a flat tire that it's going to be a flat tire that's repairable. Maybe just a nice clean hole from a nail. You can go someplace that can put a plug in it. It'll all be okay for just a few bucks. But it wasn't that either. Uh, putting air in it with the little portable compressor I have, you could hear the air coming back out. And eventually I located the the sound and then felt the air. And it was right smack dab on the side of the tire. Nice big crack. That tire's not getting repaired. It's just not going to happen. You can't repair the side of a tire. And suddenly I realized I wasn't just in a bad situation. I was in an unpatchable situation. That tire is going nowhere. In our lives, a lot of times, even when we're in bad situations, we just keep digging ourselves deeper because we don't realize how much we brought this on ourselves. And so we think, well, I'll just patch this up. It can be made okay. But this psalm speaks to the situations we find ourselves in, where the first thing we need to understand is that we can't patch it up, because we just make things worse. But thankfully, we serve a God who makes things better. He is the one who can heal any 
hole, any rupture, any leak, anything that gets in the way. He's the only one that can do that. And so let's come before him in prayer and ask that he would guide us as we dig into Psalm 6 tonight. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. And thank you for being the one who restores, the one who heals, the one who makes things new. Lord, as we as we call upon you, as we trust in you, as we seek to follow you, we still continue to dig ourselves into holes. We continue to cause problems. We continue to cause problems even for ourselves, not just for others. We bring them upon ourselves. And yet, even in those moments, thank you for being the God who hears our cry as we call out. And as we think about this psalm and think about our own lives, would you help us to see where you are, are patching the unpatchable that we face. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's go ahead and start. We'll turn to Psalm 6, verse 1. Here's what David writes. He says, O Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. As we go through this psalm, we're going to see very clearly that David is in a horrible situation. But the first thing David wants to say is that he really hopes that God won't give him the wrath that he deserves. David seems to recognize here that whatever this is, and we don't know the exact circumstance of Psalm 6, but whatever it happens to be, David is looking at the situation. He says, you have rightful wrath. You have every reason to discipline me. You have every reason to separate from me, but, oh Lord, please don't. David doesn't say, look, I'm innocent, I'm righteous. Sometimes the psalmist does call that out. Sometimes we struggle a little with with how does that work. And and in those psalms where the psalmist cries out, I'm righteous, the psalmist is reflecting on that that covenant relationship he has with our God, that God's made him righteous, declared him righteous. But David doesn't even go there. He doesn't say, God, you've called me one of your people. Now, Now be kind to me. David just cries out, please don't show me the wrath that I deserve. And I think that's so important, and it's often important for us, because what do we want to do? We want mitigating circumstances. We want to say, God, help me out. And yeah, I know I made this situation bad, but but think about all these reasons why it should be okay for me. Think about all these reasons why I'm not as bad as someone else. Think about all these reasons why there's so many other people who are more foolish, less willing to do your will. That's not what David says here. David says, Lord, rebuke me not in your anger, nor discipline me in your wrath. And he feels the pain of this all the way down to his bones, we're told in this psalm. He he feels from his very inner being just how bad the situation is. Now, what does it mean? We're going to get to that further in some, in verse 2 in just a moment. But what does it mean when he says he feels it down to his bones, that, that his bones are troubled? Well, if we're sick with a physical illness, it may be that our bodies ache and it feels like our bones are aching. If you get the flu or a cold or, or COVID or all kinds of other things, you, you may feel body aches. We, we know that feels like it's really inside of us. Here, David isn't talking presumably about a physical malady, but he's talking about that same, it's right in the depth of me sense, at the very core of me. David knows that there's something that feels like it 
has come up that's between him and God. He, he knows that this horrible situation's happened, whatever it might be. And, and what he doesn't want is to be separated from God. And so from his very core, he knows how wrong things are. And he's crying out. And he's crying out that God won't bring his wrath upon him. We all deserve that wrath. David knows he deserves that wrath, but he asks God, please don't bring that upon me. Please don't bring your discipline upon me. And there we start to see a hint of David understanding his relationship to God, because while God does bring down wrath upon people, he brings discipline down specifically on those whom he loves. Wrath, judgment, yes, that, that can come on those who outright reject God, but when he's dealing with those whom he loves, he brings discipline. Well, David isn't denying that he's done something wrong. He's denying nothing about the circumstance. So he knows he deserves discipline. And that discipline that he's receiving feels an awful lot like wrath. And David says, please, neither of those. I, I need, Lord, for you simply to hear my cry right now. Does David fully understand what he's done? Does David fully understand the circumstance? Not necessarily, just like we often don't fully understand our circumstances. But he knows where he needs to cry to. He knows where his plea needs to turn, and so he does. Sometimes we just don't know where our plea needs to turn. We don't know why things aren't working. And, and too often in my own situation, I'll assume it isn't me. Speaking of my van, I was thinking about last summer, I was up at the church, I was meeting with Kathy and Melanie about different things going on in the ministry, and and I had this full day planned, so much that needed to get done, and I was in a hurry when I got out of the car, and I have just a traditional key for my car, it's not a keyless entry or anything like that, so it's just a traditional key, but the car does try to help me. And one of the things the car does is it beeps several times. It chimes several times if you've left the key in the ignition. It also, if you have certain things in play as you try to lock the car, it will outright refuse to lock the car. And I remember trying to rush to get ready. I was going to try to brew some coffee before a meeting or something like that. In, in this whole plan of, of the day, I, I remember that the lock didn't want to lock. I heard some noises, but I just kind of tuned them out and I just kept pushing on the lock and fiddling with it until finally the car locked. Then I went about my day for part of it until I needed something out of the car and I went to reach for my key and I realized, yeah, I don't have my key. I bet I know where my key is. And sure enough, I peered through the windshield and there was the key in the ignition sitting in the parking lot. Not exactly how you want to leave a car because everyone that walked by could see the key was in the car, but I couldn't get in. We've had those sorts of sinking feelings, haven't we? We know this is self-induced. I knew I'd ignored the warnings because I was so busy doing the things I, I thought I needed to do for the day. I, I wasn't heeding the warnings. And too often that's the way it is in our Christian life. We, we hear the warnings from God. We read his word and it warns us on how to live and it corrects us and it directs us and we don't pay attention to that. And sometimes we get a little resistance. The Lord puts up blockades to try to keep us from doing things that will harm ourselves. And we ignore those too. We go just blowing right past them. And, and then we slam that door shut and we look in the windshield and there's that key locked. And then we say, well, how could this happen to me? David, king of Israel, successful king, people love David. He could say, well, why are these problems happening to me? But no, what he does is he says, Lord, 
I know I deserve your wrath, but, but please don't turn it upon me. And that's where we need to be. When we make those mistakes, when we go right past the guardrails, when we do the things that we clearly, if we were just paying better attention or we weren't so preoccupied with what we thought we needed to do, we would catch. We need to say, God, please have mercy on me. Not God, here's a list of excuses. I think sometimes we have trouble because we don't really know how to interpret what happens next, the consequences that pour. Sometimes it's just natural consequences. I, I don't think when I locked my key in the car or when I pulled out today and the, the tire had a leak in it, I don't think that was any kind of judgment from God in particular. I don't need to, to think, okay, now what have I done that has caused God to bring this punishment upon me? Sometimes the tire's just old. Sometimes I'm just dumb. But in life, in, in the bigger scope of life, we do need to ask the question, when things go wrong, is God disciplining me? And sometimes we just jump right past that and we say, well, God just must not love me. I'm not receiving blessing here. I'm receiving what feels like a curse. It must be that wrath that David talks about. It's not wrath turning into discipline. It's just outright wrath. Sometimes we feel like the psalmist in Psalm 77. The psalmist there is trying to contemplate his own situation, everything going wrong in it, and as he does, he says, will the Lord spurn forever and never again be favorable? Has his steadfast love forever ceased to end his promises at an end for all time? Has God forgotten to be gracious? Has he in anger shut up his compassion? Sometimes that, that there, right there is what we want to say, right? Because we think, I don't know why everything's going wrong and it seems like things are happening to me and it feels like God has just shut off his compassion. But as we see, especially when those things are coming out of, of the things that clearly are wrong that we're doing, the things that where we've, we've just done, we've made mistakes or we've outright intentionally chosen to do what's wrong. It doesn't have to be that God's separated from us. In fact, we know as those who call on the Lord, if you've trusted in Jesus as your Savior, he's not going to just abandon you, but he may try to redirect you because he's calling us to be more like him. And he's going to use whatever means necessary to grow us, to sanctify us towards the path that he wants us on. And so it's exactly what we read in, in excuse me, Proverbs chapter 3. For the Lord reproves him, whom he loves, as a father, the son in whom he delights. Our first inclination when we find ourselves in a conundrum that we feel like God is allowing things to go wrong in shouldn't be, well, God just must be angry with me. He's just going to punish me. No, we should think God might be disciplining me. It's not to get out his anger. He just needs to, to express himself. He just needs to make sure how unhappy happy he is, is clear to us. No, he corrects us because he loves us. He doesn't want us to lock the keys in the car all the time. He doesn't want us to be endangering ourselves. He wants us to be prospering in a path that he calls us to. doesn't always mean worldly success, that kind of prosperity, because he doesn't promise that, but he wants us to have the more important prosperity, the, the prosperity of a relationship with him, a prosperity of faithfulness in living who, whom it is that he's called us to be and actually being the people he's called us to be. We've picked the wrong mark to, to deem ourselves successful. We, we say, well, if I have power or, or money, 
or success, reputation, those things, that, that's prosperity. What's real prosperity? What is it that God really promises? It, he promises that we get to be the people he's made us to be. And that's a whole lot more incredible. You could be incredibly rich and incredibly well-respected and incredibly miserable. In fact, I know people who fall into that category. God calls us to something better. Now, the second thing that we're reminded of as we reflect on what David's saying here, though, is not purely that it might be discipline, but the fact that there is discipline and the, the, the fact that we can cry out to God reminds us that there's more than discipline. God isn't just someone who's always correcting us. God is someone who loves us. He's our Heavenly Father. That's the point of that proverb, that, that God corrects us as a father who loves his children would. But it goes so much further than any human love. God gives us his divine love. And so David doesn't stop with just saying, please don't discipline me anymore. He goes on and calls out for God's grace. That's what we see in verse 2. Be gracious to me, O Lord, for I am languishing. Heal me, O Lord, for my bones are troubled. There's that the imagery of bones I was referring to earlier. My soul also is greatly troubled, but you, O Lord, how long? David just lets it hang there. He doesn't say, how long before everything's going smoothly in my kingdom? How long before whatever enemy is currently attacking me goes away? How long before all the, the problems and turmoil that are going on in my family? David's family certainly has a lot of drama there. Maybe that has something to do with it. He doesn't say, how long before that ends? He doesn't say, bring me justice because there are people that are mistreating me. What does David say? He says, God, please show me mercy. How long will this go on? Be gracious to me, says, O Lord, for I am languishing. He says, if this is to, to correct me, I feel so weary. I need just your grace, Lord. And as he says that, he doesn't even get that full sentence out. He just leaves it hang there. How long? How long will this go on, O Lord? You ever feel that way as you pray to God? Sometimes you don't even feel like you can finish the sentence. You want to pray, God, will you solve this? But you feel like, well, I'm just stopping there. And, oh, I need to fill it in. And it's okay just to stop there. That's what David does. He doesn't have to explain it. God already knows the situation. He's just coming to God and saying what's on his heart and coming before the God who understands. That's the thing that, that David knows. He knows that as he says this, the Lord isn't going to say, huh. Now, your name's David, right? Let me go see if I can find your file and I'll see what's going on here. You know, he knows that as he comes to the Lord, God knows exactly who he is. He loves him. He's going to hear out his cry. David doesn't deny that he's done wrong. He just says, I need your grace, God. And that's what we can cry out to. I read this summer about a woman named Peggy Jones she lives in Texas, and she was out in her yard mowing the lawn when an utterly bizarre set of circumstances happened. She was on her riding lawnmower. You generally assume that you're pretty well safe from much of anything attacking you while you're on your, your riding lawnmower in your yard. But as she's riding across her yard, out of the blue, suddenly she realizes a snake has landed on her. Now, even Texas, even with their creatures, I don't think they have any flying snakes, but she realizes a snake is now wrapping itself around her. Later on, as she was getting medical attention, she didn't get a snake bite, but they found venom on her glasses, so the snakes kind of just 
going all over the place trying to get its bearings. And the next thing that happens to her explains where the snake came from. Now she's being attacked not only by the snake who's constricting itself around her arm, but a hawk that presumably had picked up that snake, dropped it, and dropped it on Peggy. Well, what did Peggy do is she's being attacked by a hawk while being attacked by a snake because the hawk wants the snake and she was just trying to mow her lawn. She cried out, she said over and over again, help me, Jesus. And she said she just said that over and over again. And sometimes we'll just say something like that. It just comes out. We don't really think about it. But I also thought, and the interviewer in the story didn't think to ask her this, about the depth of her faith or how much she prays normally or reads her Bible or anything like that. I don't really know where she is in her faith, but it struck me as people of faith, if we have trusted in Jesus, if you're considering trusting in Jesus, that's the perfect cry. And whether it was just sort of a reflexive exclamation for her or she really meant it, certainly we should mean it. When we have those snakes come flying out in the middle of our lives, when when a hawk swoops down as we're just minding our own business or or we've actually wandered in and stirred up a snake or, or gone and attacked a nest and have, a, have this all deservedly coming at us. The cry should be the same. Help me, Jesus. Because when it is just the broken world going wrong around us, we need Jesus's help. But what David is also reminding us here is even when it's our own fault, even when we've brought this upon ourselves, and it's not just a random snake falling out of the sky, we can also cry out, help me, Jesus. And so whatever Ms. Jones' story is in full, she certainly is telling us what we should be doing. Because when we encounter the things that we don't know what to do about, we should do exactly what David also did. He also said, help me, Lord. And yes, he came before Jesus came into the world, before the incarnate God of the universe was incarnate. So he didn't say Jesus, but David now, reflecting back, I'm sure would tell us, yes, if you want to add something to this psalm, a perfect cry to express what I was saying there is, help me, Jesus. We can cry to God. We can cry all the more to God, even than David, because what do we know? That God came into this world to, to face all the snakes falling out of the sky, to face all the hawks that attack, to, to face all the ones that we provoke the anger of, not just the ones that happen because the world's messed up. He's done that, and he's taken on the punishment for us. And so his love is faithful. His love remains even when we aren't faithful. We can cry out, help me, Jesus. And Jesus answers. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, too often we don't cry out to you when we're in distress. We Maybe you have a verbal exclamation that would seem to, but what we're really doing is thinking about how we're going to solve things, or if we brought it on ourselves, why it really isn't our fault. Or sometimes we know we've brought it on ourselves and we're not excusing that, but that causes us to run away from you because we think, well, God won't want to hear this prayer. But you remind us time and again that you call us to you. You call us to you in and all the self-made problems and the ones that we encounter that we did not make. For in every problem, you are the only one that can patch the unpatchable. You can patch our very lives as the air rushes out. Lord, would you remind us of your grace and your mercy? Would you help us to find that grace even as you correct us, even as you do discipline us? 
But would you also remind us that when we just feel weary and beaten down, we're perfectly able to, invited to, call out to you, help me, Jesus. I am just broken. I am just in the situation I don't understand. I don't know how to make sense of it. Know that you are the God who hears and the God who responds. We pray this in the precious name of our Savior, Jesus. Amen. I hope this was an encouragement to you tonight. And if it was, would you consider giving us a like or a share? Follow us on our social media channels, YouTube, Facebook, Mastodon, Instagram, X. We would love to have you on there. And as you share the stuff that we post on there, as you share invites to Monday night or Sunday night, as you invite someone maybe to Bible study on Tuesday nights, as you do those things, you're helping us to say, yes, there is a God when our friends, neighbors, loved ones, everyone around us, when they encounter those snakes in the air, those hawks, all those things that are broken in their lives, when they see us confronting those things in our lives, that there's a reason why we turn and we say, help me, Jesus. So thanks for helping to get out the word that there is a God who helps. Next week, we're going to think about how God saves us for a purpose of worship. And so I hope you'll come back and join me as we turn once again to Psalm 6 for that. In the meantime, if you have any prayer requests, any questions, feel free to leave it in the comments below or shoot a message to the text number on screen, 833-356-4032. It's great to hear from you. I love getting to pray with you. I love getting to chat about the Bible with you. So please do reach out any way that you would like to. Hope you have a wonderful and blessed week, and I will see you again next week.